The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus began to say to all in the synagogue in Nazareth, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself, and you will say, Do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard that you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel at the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. <clears throat> Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, <clears throat> except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, O Christ. This isn't in my sermon, but as you're settling, I was thinking about um, Super Bowl Sunday. And some years ago, uh, I had the good privilege of hearing Father Thomas Keating give a lecture in Davenport. And at the beginning of his lecture, um, he said that he was grateful for the assembly, for having come that day on a very uh, important sporting event day, like the World Series, is what he said. And as he said this, some uh, parishioner came up and whispered in his ear and said, it's not the World Series, it's the Super Bowl. And he said, whatever. <laughs> and, and what was really funny is I hadn't even caught that. <laughs> so, I think about that often on Super Bowl Sunday, Father Thomas Keating. In 1992, <clears throat> I was living in Germany uh, when one night I watched Saturday Night Live in the kitchen of the dorm where I was living. This was made possible through some ingenious, although most certainly illegal technological scheming by some of the engineering students in the dorm. One of my best friends at the time named Benoit, a student from the south of France, was deeply infatuated with Sinead O'Connor, if you remember her and insisted in his persuasively French way that we find a way to watch her appearance on Saturday Night Live. So on a chilly night in early October while nibbling on cheese and bread, our floor in our dorm settled in to watch Sinead O'Connor's appearance on Saturday Night Live. She entered the stage in her usual dramatic way with her shaven head and her shapeless clothes and started singing a cover of Bob Marley's song, War. When it came time for her to sing the word evil, she held up a photograph of Pope John Paul II and proceeded to tear it into tiny pieces and fling it at the camera while singing the lyric, Fight the Real Evil. 
in her protest against sexual abuse of children in the Roman Catholic Church. I remember the students in the kitchen gasping as Tubingen is located deep in Catholic country in the Black Forest. Little else was talked about for days to come among the student population of almost 60,000. The University of Tubingen, long renowned for its liberal views and progressive ways, hailed O'Connor as a pioneer and a hero, a champion not only of women's rights, but also a beacon of hope for the countless victims that would eventually surface in the Roman Catholic Church and still are today, as Thursday's report coming this time from the Archdiocese of Texas. Remember, though, when O'Connor did this, this was almost a full 10 years before Pope John Paul II even acknowledged the sexual abuse of children within the Roman Catholic Church. This marked a decided turning point in Sinead O'Connor's career. In just two days, NBC received 4,400 calls about this incident, all but seven condemning her. And why? It's an interesting question. Is what she did disrespectful? Yes. Did she intend her action to be disrespectful? Yes. Would she do it differently if she could go back in time? She was asked. Hell no, she said. Because if she was willing to risk the backlash, which in many respects ended her career as she knew it, in order to throw light on a bigger atrocity, the abuse of children at the hands of priests and the subsequent institutional cover-up. In 1992, in a controversial and courageous act, Sinead O'Connor poked the bear and paid a heavy price for it. It turns out when you poke the bear, people get mad. Today, Jesus pokes the bear. First, let's briefly recall last week when, full of the Holy Spirit and recently baptized, Jesus enters his hometown of Nazareth. He returns home rather victoriously, having just gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with the devil in the wilderness for 40 days. He enters the synagogue, takes the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and reads from it. <clears throat> this is not necessarily unusual, but then he says to the crowd, Today this prophecy is fulfilled in your presence. In other words, he says, I am the Messiah, which is highly unusual. But the crowds seem to delight in this because they are captivated by him, recalling memories of little Jesus in diapers. And yet, some murmur, wait a minute, isn't this the son of Mary and Joseph, this one who's claiming to be God? And then, claiming Jesus as their own local savior, they make demands on him, this boy from their neighborhood who also says he's God. We are entitled, after all. He is one of us. Heal for us, they demand, like you've done in other towns. Do hear what you've done elsewhere. We deserve it, after all. We are your people. Charity begins at home, after all. Dance for us. Perform for us. Prove to us that you are who you say you are. But remember, we know who your real mom and dad are. 
And Jesus says, I will not. In saying this, he pokes the bear of entitlement. I will not perform simply because you demand it. The Son of God has not come to do your personal bidding. You do not own me. You cannot claim me. No one can own me or claim me. You are entitled to nothing. You get no special privilege simply because I was raised here. I am not your personal, private, or exclusive Messiah. I have not come to just save you. I have come to save all people. God's love is bigger than, than this dusty village. And with this, the people have had it. They are outraged, and they drive him out of town and try to throw him off a cliff, and yet he passes through them unharmed. My, how the tables have turned quickly for Jesus. A hero, one minute. An outlaw, the next. It's what happens when you poke the bear. It's easy to feel powerful when all praise you and speak well of you. How difficult it is to feel powerful when the crowd turns on you, when praises turn to, to curses, when smiles turn to sneers, when waving hands become angry fists. How easy it is to feel powerful when you're sitting on top of the world. How difficult it is to feel powerful when you're hanging on by your fingernails. When you poke the bear, people get mad indeed. Of all people, Jesus knows this best. In this passage from the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells anyone who follows him, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. This is true, especially for the baptized, when the common belief is, oh, now that I am baptized, life will be a bed of roses, when in fact, the very opposite is true, as Jesus does not lead his followers through a bed of roses, but instead through valleys of death, into pools of disease, into mobs of hungry people, despairing people, very, very broken people. And Jesus pokes the bear all the while, this time the bear of power, as he travels across the countryside with his disciples. The kingdom of God is here, he announces to earthly kings. You last will be first, and you first will be last, he says. Blessed are those whom you crush, he says. Kill them, and I will raise them up, he says. And he heals, and he lifts up, and he forgives, and he brings back to life, and pokes the authoritative powers of the day, saying, See, you're not king, are you? I am. Welcome to my kingdom, where the poor inherit the earth, where mercy rains down on all, where the dead live. When you poke the bear, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Following Christ means being uncomfortable. Jeremiah knew this long before Jesus showed up. Called by God, even as a young child, God appoints Jeremiah to poke the bear. God says to him, speak to the nations and to the kingdoms words that I will give you. And in the verses immediately following the ones that we just heard this morning, God gives rare words of actual advice. Gird up your loins, God says to Jeremiah. In other words, get ready for adversity. Stand tall. Do not break down before them. They will fight you. They will not win. 
I'm with you, young Jeremiah. It's easy to feel powerful when you are a young, wealthy boy, safe and secure in the home of your well-established parents. It's difficult to feel powerful when the nations and the kingdoms turn on you and want you dead. Jeremiah's life changes the day God calls him to be prophet as he pokes the bear, calling out unfaithful people. But God never once abandons him, even when all others turn against him. God says to Jeremiah, get comfortable with being uncomfortable as you go out and poke the bear. It's one thing to feel powerful when you're on top of the world. It's another thing when you're hanging on by your fingernails. I remember feeling this some years ago through a series of events in my former parish, which I've shared with you before. Overnight, I went from being beloved pastor to outlaw, all over my decision to marry two men, poking the bear of human rights and the sanctity of marriage and homosexual relationships, which was both legal in the state of Iowa and allowed in the ELCA. I remember standing up to councils and townspeople, hearing their insults flung at me and my sons, fearing every night when I went to sleep. I remember reading these words from the book of Jeremiah every night before I went to sleep. Gird up your loins, stand up, do not break down in front of them. They will fight you. They will not win, for I am with you, says the Lord. It's easy to feel powerful when you're beloved, when everyone speaks well of you, and you're on top of the world. It's another thing when you've poked the bear, when things get uncomfortable, and you find yourself hanging on by your fingernails. Have you ever felt this way? Like Sinead O'Connor, like Jeremiah, like you are standing alone against the world? Have you ever felt like all eyes are on you as you raise your hand and say, I beg to differ? Have you ever lifted up high a sign of protest or put yourself directly in harm's way to save another or risked speaking a defiant word to authoritative powers that seek to dehumanize others? If so, then you are in the company of Sinead O'Connor, which may or may not thrill you. You are in the company of the prophet Jeremiah, which I hope thrills you. You are in the company of Jesus Christ, which I pray thrills you. But this is decidedly uncomfortable company to keep, ones who poke big bears of power structures, ones who challenge and change history, Ones who aren't anybody's puppets, even their own hometowns. If you discover in today's reading that Jesus is hard to like, then you are paying attention. You have noticed that Jesus is shockingly aggressive and won't be owned or claimed or manipulated. You have discovered that no one is entitled to Jesus. No one has him in their pocket he will not be domesticated or corrupted or polluted. He will not collude with others in order to gain favor or privilege. He won't be made into our image of whom we think he should look like, which is actually like more of one of the BGs than the Middle Eastern Jew from Palestine that he was. He won't conform to our expectations of what he should act like as he condemns church leaders while forgiving adulterers, befriending prostitutes, and eating with sinners? 
If you find it hard to like Jesus, it's because you understand that he will neither be caught nor caged by any one faith tradition, race, orientation, as we discover that he loves the very ones we love to hate, that we must loosen our grip on Jesus and let him be who he is, to let God out of the box that we try to shove God into, even if God isn't always likable and rarely comfortable. Luke's Jesus, then, is not so concerned with our comfort, it seems. Luke's Jesus wants us to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. In an interview with Sinead O'Connor, she said she's not interested so much in people liking her as long as they learn something from her. Jesus is not so interested in whether we like him or not, so much as he's concerned with us following him and being faithful, which doesn't always mean the same thing as being nice, which means following him into some very uncomfortable places, places of struggle, where we encounter the unholy, the demonic, the diseased, the deranged, the despairing, the doubting. But Jesus knows that you have the strength to follow him, into these places because you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and he will not abandon you ever. But if all this sounds just too uncomfortable for you, remember that Jesus does all this for you. That Jesus will anger, offend, and fight whomever he needs to will poke whatever bear he must in order to get to you. Whether you are a hero or an outlaw, whether you are on top of the world or barely hanging on by your fingernails. Amen.